0: You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca get into this hebrew study you're going to notice really quickly as we're going to stand once again not yet but stand once again and we're going to read hebrews 9 together but you kids have something like this so we have the kids in the gathering uh we have something like this and like this and what you're to do is with your scissors cut out all of these pictures here and then with your glue you can see the arrows pointing here and you can just glue those things on the open space here and uh, then even draw an arrow to where it's supposed to go. All right, so this is uh, some homework for you. So, you parents, you can help along. So, they're to point where the, does this bread go? Where does the table go? Where does the ark of the covenant go? And all that kind of stuff. So, it's a little fun thing for the kids to follow along with. And maybe it's going to be helpful for you, parents, as well. And especially for for maybe for you that you've never heard of this of the tent of meeting the the tabernacle that that kind of traveled with the tribes of Israel. We've been talking about this. The twelve sons of Jacob, Jacob's name got turned to Israel by by God, and that is the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, that is the nation of Israel that kind of grows up, and we see the stories of of this this nation throughout the Old Testament, and what they did through the leaving egypt they had, they were enslaved for 400 and some years enslaved in egypt and god miraculously brought them out of that through 10 plagues and the parting of the red sea and then they entered into the desert and walked for 40 years around the desert trying to find this promised land that god promised them now that travel could have been like three days but they rebelled against God after a certain amount of time. They rebelled against God, and so God set up all kinds of different laws for them to follow and to help guide them. And one of those things that you'll see in the end of the book of Exodus, you'll see this tent. And all these little things that we're going to talk about on this sheet are on the book of Exodus. And they're, they're, they're well explained in the end of the book of Exodus, and they're talked about much Uh, But what I want to give you a picture for, and kids, you can actually draw this, if you take a look at me for a second, just turn your sheet to be the back of this sheet, maybe. And on the flip side of that, you can actually just draw a square. And you parents can follow along here for a second, but if you draw a square right in the middle of that circle, that would represent this tent. And on every side, and you can see this in the book of Numbers, chapter 2 and following, you can see... Outside of that tent, you would have three tribes on the north, three tribes on the east, three tribes on the south, and three tribes on the west. Twelve tribes in total, and the Levitical tribe, the Levites, would be the Levi tribe would be in the middle. They would be the priests of that center, and so this is where that tent would be situated. As they would travel, they would set up the tent of meeting, and then each of those tribes would be set up, and this would be the central point of the whole area of this nation that would travel through the desert and that's what we're getting into so let i just wanted to explain a lot of that for us that maybe have not read through this old testament maybe it was confusing for you Uh, but let's get into hebrews 9 uh, 1 through 10 this morning and as we read this you're going to see the explanation of what is going on inside the tent all right so fun stuff this morning for us. I'm quite excited about why don't we stand and read God's word together uh, if you are able. So Hebrews 9, 1 through10, continuation of our Hebrew study, and you can see it on the screen. and then we'll unpack this verse by verse together. It says this: "Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain of this tent was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. according to this arrangement gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation this is the word of god so let's pray and then we'll jump in Uh, jesus thank you so much for this word Thank you that we do have scripture saying that every single thing is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for encouragement. And Jesus, this is one of those texts of scripture that we can fly over and miss everything because of the details, because of the confusion, maybe of being in 2024 and not knowing this maybe amazing story of your provision and your honor and your glory and your presence. With us, And so, Jesus, I pray that as we unpack this Hebrews 9 text, that we will be transformed in our mind and our hearts and that that transformation will turn into a deep sense of worship of who you are as our Creator. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, you can be grab a seat. And if, kids, you don't have one of these, there's an extra here. And Linda's got this treat bucket. So if you do your homework, you get treats. Bribery is the way to do it here at the Shore Church. All right, so it's just a fun thing. Adults, no treats for you. Yeah, and everybody left. All right. <clears throat> well, as we jump into this text and maybe just even reading that, you're like, oh, this is go- how is this going to be encouraging to me? Uh, but what's going on here is, well, we have to notice what the author is doing. See, the author in this is circling back, circling back to what was. This is what, how they did life. This is how they did church. And he's circling back, helping them see this Hebrew church. Remember, this is a book of exhortation to the Hebrew church. And they're circling back to go, this is how you used to worship. And this Hebrew church is going, I want to go back to that. And so what the author is doing is showing them that this is actually just the type of the anti-type. The perfect that has come already, that is Jesus. And so he's going, remember these things, but these things all point to Jesus. And this is what the author is doing for us. This is the main point of this text. And it's kind of like for you and I when we tell a story, we key in on certain details of a story to make this story alive. And this is what this author is doing. He's keying in on certain details of the story, but he doesn't want to speak a lot about the details because you'll miss the main point if we just go into the details too much. He's just telling these details so that he can jump off of them into the main point of this story. So, here in our text, I believe the author hasn't changed one bit since he started back in chapter 1, verse 1. He is still showing this small Hebrew church that Jesus is supreme. Supreme over all things. Even down to the details of what was in the holy places, into the holy of holies. That it's all about Him. And so I'm I'm super pumped, if you haven't noticed yet. But I'm super encouraged by this. But this is one of those things that I want us all as a church to be encouraged by. And so I want to make sure that this is understood, understood well for us. So the outline this morning is the setup, the entry... And the preparation, you can see that laid out in those verses, and we're going to unpack that one through ten through those three points for this morning. So the first point, the setup. Look at verses one through five again. It says this: Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared for the first section. So just to stop there for a second, that tent, that picture on the screen, I I don't have it on the screen right now. We'll get to it. But the the tent has two sections within the tent. So there's a first section. That's what we're getting in here. And there's a second section. Okay. So here we go in verse 2 again. For a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. So the first section is called the holy place. Beyond the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, and in which the goal into that Ark of the Covenant was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the Covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. This last statement here of these things we cannot now speak in detail, emphasizes my point in my intro. We don't want to get lost in the details. We don't want to get lost. We can spend a lot of time in the Old Testament here in this text unpacking every one of these things. As the author says here in Hebrews, I don't want to speak much of these things. It's already in the history books. But they're still here in our text. So we are going to talk about them but we're not we're going to talk about them because they point to jesus every single one of them and so we want to i want to see this and and this is what this author is doing he's setting up something glorious in this chapter nine and we're only going to get through a little bit of it this morning but let's take a look at each one of these you can see pictures on the screen for you adults let's take a look there's the tent let's go back to that tent there's the two sections. You can see the Holy of Holies in the back side of it, and then the Holy Place. And the Holy Place is where the, where the priests would go. And then the, only the High Priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And only once a year. And so we're going to emphasize these things, and one at a time we're going to go through the pictures that are on the next slide there. We're going to go through all of these. These are the things that are listed in our text of Hebrews Nine, one through 10. So we're going to take these one at a time and help see these, not in great detail of how they were made, which you see in the book of Exodus and other parts of the Old Testament, but let's see how they point to Jesus. See, this, is, this uh, again, was the God of creation coming, coming. this tent was coming to tabernacle with his people. This was essentially Emmanuel, God with us in this tent. You can take those pictures off now. Those, those will be just distracting for all of us. Uh, but the first thing we need to see here in this text of ours in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, is that we see that there are regulations for worship. There are regulations for worship. There is an order and the recognition of God's holiness. And this was not a small thing to be missed. This was the God of creation coming to tabernacle with his people. And that whole idea of the tent being in the center of all those 12 tribes surrounding the tribes was a, was a reminder to these tribes that this is the most important thing of protection. If any army came at any direction, there would be a great army waiting for them to guard the temple, the tent of meeting place. See, you wouldn't roll in to this tent of meeting 10 minutes late. You wouldn't roll in unprepared to hear from the Word of God. You would know ahead of time of where you were to go if you were one of those tribes and what you were about to be a part of. This was the gathering of the people with the Lord. And the presence of the Lord hovered over the tent and is a cloud, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. And people's hearts would have been prepared and they would have been respectfully waiting to hear from God. Now, I don't say... Uh, these things to shame you for coming late or or missing these things, but I think in 2024 we've missed something. And I want to encourage us as your shepherd, as your as my sheep, as the ones that God has put me over to govern and to help and to humbly serve, and to undergird you in your growth of discipleship of of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you in 2024. Let's prepare every day through the week, so that on Sunday we would come ready to worship. We would become ready to hear the Word of God. We would come ready to greet and love one another as if they are our brother or sister in Christ. And I think we've lost some of that in 2024. I can't imagine what it would have been like seeing that tent and seeing a pillar of cloud resting on it and just the, the, the anticipation to hear what Moses had to say after meeting with the Lord. It would have been amazing to, to, to see that and to be a part of it. So this tent and the things within are shadows of the heavenly place of worship. And if anything, I hope they spark a deeper desire in each of us to seek Jesus as he is represented in each of the following symbols given in our text, as I've already said. So let's start with the tent. What does this tent represent? Well, the tent was only to be entered by the priests, as I've said already, to perform the sacrifices for the sins of the people. There were two sections of the tent, the holy place being the first section for the daily sacrifices. And then the second was only for the high priest once a year. And many commentary writers, this is something that was really interesting to me, many commentary writers actually proclaim that first section, the holy place, where the priests were to enter as Jesus' earthly body, as Jesus' fully man. And then there was this curtain... And Jesus' deity in the Holy of Holies. And so there's this two sections, essentially, Jesus fully man, Jesus fully God. And this is the tent that was set up to be to proclaim this, to, to point towards Jesus Christ as the true tent, as the one that has come to tabernacle with his people. It's a type, a shadow of Jesus the anti-type. In John chapter 1 verse 14 it says it this way and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth This is the holy place Jesus enter into his creation to be part of with his people and I'll let you discover more as you continue your study, but the point of this tent is again to show Jesus' supremacy over all of creation and that He is actually enters into His creation. He's not some God that only speaks things down to His creation, but He actually enters in because He loves. He loves it and He loves us. See, this tent is a symbol of the Creator entering into His creation. The lampstand, second thing there, the lampstand, the tent had no windows, this tent had no windows, so in, so in many ways this, this lampstand was the only source of light within the tent, but that wasn't its only purpose. Again, there is so much to say about this lampstand, but in simplest form it represents and foreshadows Jesus as being the light for all of creation, in fact, if you read about this lampstand, the, the priests were to prepare the oil and to burn this lamp all day, every day. This lamp was t- a continuous light source within the Holy of Holies and in the holy place that the priests would go and serve at. And this, this was a, one of those things that they would enter in and, and seeing that lamp, seeing that light, and it was the only light source in this tent, it would be a recognition of God's holiness, of God's perfection. See, in the New Testament, it goes, it says it this way. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life of Jesus was the light of men. Again, this is the first section. This is where this lampstand was. It's in the first section. This is the light and the life of men. Jesus' earthly presence. Or in Revelation 21 23, we read. And the city, now this is at the end of time when the heavens come down and and the new heavens and create the new earth. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Its lamp is the Lamb, the Lamb of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our light. And He will be our light eternally. This lamp stands points a picture to Jesus. The lamp is the only source of light in the tent, and Jesus is the only light of the world. Next, we see a table, and on that table, the bread of the presence. Now, this table was directly across from the lampstand, and on the table... Were these 12 loaves, and the, and the priests were called the, in the Holy of Holies, well, not in the Holy of Holies, so the, the holy place, in the first section. The priests were to bake these loaves of bread every Sabbath. So some, from Sabbath to Sabbath, a new 12 loaves would show up, and the old ones were to be used by the Levites. That was some of their provision. And so these 12 loaves were a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel, all surrounding this tent as a sign of the eternal covenant with His people that God made. God made this covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel, and these loaves of bread were that. A representation of the eternal covenant that God made. And so I can't imagine again walking into this temple as a priest and seeing these 12 loaves, being a part of making these 12 loaves, and what they represent. This is a representation of God's faithfulness. This is a representation of God's covenant and His mercy upon His people. And again, King David actually poetically wrote in Psalm 23 that God faithfully prepares the table for us. Provides for us. Anoints us in the house of the Lord. It is also a sign of provision. It's a sign of provision from God. It's a sign of communion with the Lord that we actually will eat with Him that will partake with him, that he supplies everything. And there's a, there's a place set for each one of us. See, when we get to the new Testament, we see Jesus himself being the bread of life in John chapter six, verse 35. This is the correlation, the connection, the pointing to the real thing that Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So just in this first section of the tent, so those, thus far, kids, thus far, just in the first section of the tent, Jesus' earthly ministry is that he is the bread of life, Jesus is the light, the lampstand of the world, and he tabernacles with his people. He is the tent. So we shouldn't get lost again. We shouldn't get lost in the details, but the details point us all towards Jesus. They're so sweet. They're so sweet. The setup, to continue this first point, behind the second curtain now, the most holy place. We have the golden altar of incense, we ha- and we have the Ark of the Covenant, which has three things within it. So let's start one at a time. We'll start with the golden altar of incense. Now, this symbolizes prayer and worship before the Lord. If you see incense anywhere, it's actually found within the Scripture a lot that incense was used as a a representation. We'll get to to that in a second of our prayers. One place we actually see this is in Psalm 141, verse 2, when it says, "...let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice." There's a sacrificial thing that takes place and the, the posture of your body, lifting your hands, was like that evening sacrifice, according to the psalmist. The incense, let it be like my prayers, that my lifting hands be like a sacrifice. I'm sacrificing myself for you, Jesus. It's a beautiful psalm. And you can also see this as Jesus' is intercession for us, praying for us daily before the Father, as we covered a few weeks back in, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that He is actually interceding for us daily. And this, again, this incense, this golden altar of incense is, again, a foreshadow of the heavenly court where Jesus stands for us, praying for us daily. It is a beautiful symbol of intercession, Prayers of Jesus for us as His saints is a sweet smell to the Father. Now, one thing I wanted to point out because it's such a sweet point out, but what incense does, there's four things that incense does for us and actually point towards uh, Christ. One author explains this way and when it comes to incense and how it relates to prayer this way. First, before incense was, was to be used, it would be pounded and beat symbolizing a broken and contrite heart. Symbolizing, so this incense, again, was a pounded and beat before it was used. It was like symbolizing your broken and contrite heart before the Lord. Secondly, incense was most potent when lit by fire. Some of you have done this. We used to light incense just for the smell uh, because our kids were stinky. And so you'd light incense, blow it out, and then you'd have this sweet smell, this sweet aroma flowing through the house. And it was most potent when lit by fire. Similarly, prayer has no virtue unless lit on fire by the Holy Spirit. Third, this author talks of incense by saying the trail of smoke the incense releases travels upward towards heaven. Again, the point of prayer is that it will move upwards to the throne and grace of God. And fourthly, it says incense releases a sweet aroma and you can imagine what was going on. Remember, in the first section of this holy place, there's all kinds of sacrifice going on. And if you're a hunter here, the smell of a dead carcass is not so pleasant. Maybe you like it. A lot of people don't. All right, The smell of blood flowing and dead carcasses all around. This incense was also used as, a, as an aroma to, to cover that smell, to, to take away that smell of a sacrifice. Similarly, our prayers of faith towards the Lord are a sweet aroma covering the smell of sin and death." So you can see the pointing of all of these things, all of these items towards the Lord. The last one here, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, there's a couple more after this one. But this has within it three items of remembrance from the journey out of Egypt and through the desert. So this is the tricky one, kids. You have the Ark of the Covenant, then you have three things actually within the Ark of the Covenant. The first one is the golden urn holding manna. So you have the Ark of the Covenant within the Ark of the Covenant, you have the urn. This is like a pot. And manna was in there. Now, if you know the story of the exodus manna was the flakes from heaven that the people of god woke up to every morning as they traveled through the desert it was their food it was a provision from god that they never had to go out and find food to eat it was actually these flakes of heaven that would fall on the ground and they were to go and gather up all these flakes for the day and for that day only And God warns them, if you gather more for the day and try to hoard things and jealously or pridefully think, you know what, I'm going to produce more for myself, it would turn into worms and gross and it would be spoiled. And uh, I can't imagine, but more and more people through that trial, those million of people walking through the desert, you know this probably happened more than once. But the whole point of this was that God was trying to teach His people, trust Me every day. And if you can imagine, knowing that you have no food as you lay your head to rest, that you were probably more in trust with the Lord because you knew you could not supply something the next day. And the next morning you'd wake up and find the manna on the ground once again. Again, strengthening your faith in this amazing God who brought you out of slavery. So this was the manna that was stored. So Moses and Aaron, they took one piece of this manna, put it in a golden urn, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And that, again, miraculously, never spoiled. It was to be a sign to something else. A sign and a picture to these priests and to the people of God that there is something greater going on here. That there's something yet to come. And in the Gospels of John, the Gospel of John, we see this in chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, where it says, Jesus then said to them, to His disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He, He's pointing at Himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus, in this section of Scripture, is proclaiming proclaiming Himself as God and deity. And He is the bread of life. He is the manna that was feeding Moses and the, the tribes of Israel as they escaped Egypt. You can read more about this if you want to just jot in your notes. Exodus 16, you can read about manna. It's in that chapter. But let's move on to Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff, if the people didn't have enough, this is one of those miracles that you'd see it and just be blown away every time you saw it. But Aaron's staff was a stick of wood. Used it probably for years, being a sheep herder and moving things around and it was wa- use, useful for a walking stick or whatever it might be. But this, he, most men had these staffs especially shepherds, they would have these staffs. And as, when Aaron was called into the ministry, this staff was actually used for many of the miracles in Egypt as God was moving them out of slavery. One of those things was when he threw it down and it turned into a snake and uh, touching the water, turning it to blood, all kinds of things was used by this staff. And now here we go in the desert for now years and the people start grumbling like most road trips Right when you go to road trips, most often kids, if you say how much longer, right? That's called grumbling. All right. So when you grumble and you say how much longer, Dad, are we going to be there yet? And then Dad usually steps on the gas a little bit more and tries to speed up the journey because it's you know it's taking too, too long. And the kids are getting grumbly. Uh, but what most dads will do after is like reach over as they're driving and stop your grumbling. Right? I'll tell you when we're getting close. That's essentially what God is doing here in this text that I'm going about to read you. In Numbers chapter 17, he goes and he goes, grumbling over, I will prove to you who I have chosen as your priest. So this is Aaron's staff. He is the priest the, under the tribe of Levi. And everybody's grumbling, why can't I be the priest? And so in Numbers 17, verses 2 through 5, it's on the screen. Take a look at it. It says this Speak to the people of Israel. And get from them staffs. One for each father's house, from all their chiefs according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. So remember the 12 tribes of Israel. You got three north, three east, three south, three west. I want you to find the tribe, get one staff from the leader of that tribe, bring it to me, write your name on it, and we're going to throw it into the pile. It says that right here. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, that tribe of Levi. "...for there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the one man, of the man whom I choose, shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel which they grumble against you." And guess whose staff sprouted? Aaron's staff sprouted to the point where if you read this story, it actually started building almonds off of that thing too unbelievable when you see this and so we have the golden urn of manna we have Aaron's staff that budded into the ark of the covenant all pointing to Jesus because this is the staff again found in the ark as a reminder of the priesthood to the people that God elects his chosen people that out of a dead piece of wood brought life and the same event in a way took place thousands of years later grumblings and worship of false gods and worship of other things And God the Father through Jesus' Son wants to stop the grumbling. So He sends His Son 2,000 years ago to a dead piece of wood. And out of that dead piece of wood comes life. Comes life and, and fruit. And even Jesus Himself is called the vine and the branch that produces good fruit. And if you are outside of Him even you can have life if you're grafted into Him. It's a beautiful picture of something that is far greater. Jesus is the greater chosen priest. And then we have last thing in the Ark of the Covenant is the tablets of the covenant. This is the Ten Commandments brought down from the mountain by Moses. And on them was the carved law by the hand of God Himself. If you read that story in the Exodus again, around Exodus chapter 20, you can see God on the mountain of Mount Sinai with Moses, and He carves with His hand on two tablets the Ten Commandments. And on them was the, like I said, the carved law by the hand of God. And as we saw last week, these are foreshadows of God's law being fulfilled in and through Jesus. And this is what they are meant to Jesus is the fulfiller of the law. Again, every single thing, every single item so far in this tent, in the first section and in the second, all point to Jesus. And the last two things above the ark, we see cherubim, which are these carved images. Oh, these carved images of angels, and their wings touch almost touching to the point. Or these these are the angels that are constantly with the Lord, that are ministering and serving Him. And we've already seen that they not only minister and serve God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but they also serve and minister to us, His people. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1, I believe around verse 10, 11 ish. At the end of chapter 1, you see that. But these cherubim give us the picture of holiness of God. They are faithful ministers and worshipers of God, Almighty at all times, representing the angels of heaven that worship and serve God eternally. One author put it this way this again points to the holiness of God, and these angels attended Christ at his birth in His temptation, under His agonies, at His resurrection, and in His ascension, and will attend His second coming. God manifest in the flesh was seen, observed, visited by the angels. They are all around God's presence. And we see that here again in the Holy of Holies. The angels are forever present with the Lord, ministering ministering His amazing grace to the, the rest of us. And then you see under the cherubim... on. And this is all part of the Ark of the Covenant. The cherubim on the top and then the mercy seat right underneath. And remember we have inside there, we have the manna and the, and the staff and um, mind-blocking. only talked about this in my studies so, so long. But we have all these, and the Ten Commandments obviously, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And then in between that and the cherubim, which represent the holiness of God, we have the mercy seat. All of these symbols are again a foreshadow of Jesus' perfection. See, this mercy seat again, the seat was a symbol of covering all our transgressions. That the law would show us. That the manna would show us. That the, the, whole, the, the Aaron's staff would show us. And placed between His glorious presence and our sins, ultimately covering them eternally, and every sacrifice that was made, they were to, the priests were to take some blood and splatter it on the mercy seat. And Jesus is the better bread of life. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better great high priest. Jesus fulfills the law so that we can walk freely away from our sin. He pays it in full. The penalty of sin and death. The, he is the greatest sacrifice. And this is all symbolizing, pointing, foreshadowing to the greater coming one. This is... Uh, such a sweet, sweet text when we go deep into what these things mean and how they point to Jesus our Savior. So like the author of Hebrews says, there's much to say about each of these items listed both in the first section and in the second, but what we ought to see is that every one of them points to Jesus. So let's hit number two now as we continue on. I'll bust through these a little bit quicker. But the entry, verses 6-9. through We have the entry. Look at the text. It says, These preparations having thus been made. So, everything, all the preparations, the making of the 12 loaves of bread, uh, the candle being continually lit, uh, the lampstand, I'm sorry, and all the other preparations, the sacrifices, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But unto the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Now there's a lot here in this text, and, and all these things are pointing again to Jesus, now, Jesus, the entry into this tent. Remember, Jesus is the, the presence of Jesus is his earthly ministry, the holy place. Is this is earthly. He is fully man. And then we have the curtain, this amazing curtain that covers and that stops the, all the other priests from going into the holy of holies behind that first curtain into the, into the holiest holy of place. And they would only go once a year. And they would have to shed blood to get past that curtain. For their sins and for the sins of the people. Now again, Jesus, fully man, fully God. Now the entry into the holy of the holies with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit was only by way of blood. So again, this picture of Jesus' manhood and deity united within a tent. He, in the tent of His body. The only way, the only entry point to the Father, the only entry point to the Son is by blood. That is the only entry. And we're going to see, and I don't want to spoil it enough, but as you read ahead a little bit into Hebrews chapter 10, you're going to see that curtain ripped in two from top to bottom. And it's only ripped in two at the death of Jesus Christ. On the cross... That curtain is ripped by God from top to bottom. Now the, the, the earthly presence of Christ and the deity presence is united. It's always has been in united, but now we can go into the Holy of Holies. Jesus has become our perfect mediator. Jesus has shed His blood for you and I. Jesus paid the penalty that you and I deserve so that we can now enter in all the unintentional sins have now been covered And Jesus now is our entry. He is the gate, as we see in the New Testament. He is the way and the only way into the presence of God. So these rituals and regulations must be followed, but they were an amazing shadow that we, the church, cannot miss. And when it says right at the end of that, which is symbolic for the present age, he's again, that's referring, don't get confused by that one. You can't read that as today 2024 he's saying the present age of well he's talking about the tent what he's saying to them is this hasn't happened he's saying as he circles back he's like jesus hasn't come he hasn't hung on the rugged cross of christ yet he's still alive he's still with his people this section has not been fulfilled yet and so you can't enter through into the holy of holies yet that day is coming And it has come as he now fulfills the story as he continues to walk through this amazing book of Hebrews. But the rituals of the priest entering in and all the preparations that took place and the high priest entering behind the curtain was again a shadow of what has come through Jesus Christ our Savior. So this is the entry. It is only by way of Jesus that we have right standing with God the Father. There's no other way. And so the preparation then The preparation then, verse 9 and 10, according to this arrangement, this tent, the holy place, the holy of holies, Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus' deity, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. See in verse 9, right at the top there, it says, According to this arrangement, it's not fulfilled yet. He's saying, when you look back into the old ways that you're trying to go back towards, you're going to be stuck because Jesus, you're, you're taking Jesus' ministry away. And if you take Jesus' ministry away, you'll never enter into the Holy of Holies. You'll be doing ritual after ritual after ritual the remainder of your days, and you'll forget Jesus. So again, remember, this is an exhortation. This letter is an exhortation to a Hebrew church that is going back to old, de- old ways and old desires. And remember, as we talked about the, the, the priests of Levi, it was a new priest, new law, and then they would die. Jesus comes along, he's a new priest, new law, and now he lives. And that's what it's talking about in the time of Reformation. Reformation simply means a time of change. So this symbolically is going on until a time of change. And that time of change is Jesus when He died on the cross. His amazing salvation for you and I. And we will get more to that next week. But it's talking about this amazing blood next week. We're talking a lot about blood. It's going to be great. But we'll get to that next week. But the things from verses 1-10 through are not enough. They are mere shadows of Jesus, not Jesus. We need Jesus. So remember, Jesus is coming and he will bring a new covenant, a time of reformation, a time of change. And the reformation that Jesus brings is eternal because it is on better promises. And we've talked much about this as we go back even a chapter or two, that he brings better promises, a better covenant. He is our guarantor uh, of these things, of the covenant, and he is our eternal source of salvation So without spoiling next week's message completely, let me remind you of something you already know. It is the only preparation you need. So if you're new to church, if you're new to understanding this story, that's totally fine. The story hasn't changed now in the time of new change, in the time of Reformation, that Jesus came perfectly 100% 100% man, 100% God, and he ripped that curtain in two so that we could out now enter in through him into the Holy of Holies. Because, like I've said this before, and kids watch closely, that we all are sinners, every one of us. And so there's nothing that we can do to get to the Father, it's actually impossible so we need someone to save us so we are sinful there's nothing that we can do so we need someone outside of us and that is jesus he pays for our sin and the penalty of our sin and if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that god raised jesus from the dead it says in the scriptures in romans 9 10 and 11 that we will be saved This is how we walk through this tent. The only entry point into the gates of heaven is by way of Jesus. His life, His death, and His resurrection. That's why we have an empty cross on the stage to remind us that shed blood needed to take place for us to enter into the holy place. And that curtain needed to to be gone so that we could enter into with the Holy of Holies. And the only way that curtain is gone is if Jesus pays the penalty of our sin and death. So my encouragement to all of us this morning is that we would surrender to Him. If we've surrendered to Him already, let's continue that surrender daily. May it be like that. Every time now I'm waking up, I, I just go, okay, Lord, like would you please help me serve you? Fill me with Your Spirit that I might serve You faithfully as, as a child of Yours. Knowing that it's Jesus that has done everything for me. But He's got work for us to do. And so may we surrender to Him today. And if you haven't yet surrendered to Him, surrender Him today. There's no time to wait. This is the only way for eternal life and eternal salvation. It's Jesus and by Jesus alone. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You so much for all that You have done for us. I thank You that the things like the lampstand and the tent and the Ark of the Covenant and the manna and the the staff all point to You. That You are our chosen eternal High Priest. That You are the one that guarantees our eternal salvation by the blood that You shed for us on the cross. And that was sprinkled onto the mercy seat that God the Father now has mercy on us because of Your blood shed for us. So Jesus, help us understand that more deeply. Help us believe it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, I ask that You transform our hearts daily towards this amazing and this good news of You, Jesus. That this story of the Bible is so connected from one and to all the way through the other, all through the 66 books that were so miraculously given to us. So I pray that we will believe upon you as our Savior, as our salvation, for, for our redemption towards you. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.